Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Marcus Dowling is because Marcus was part of our February 29th, 2020, 12 hour live show. We are catching up with most everyone that was part of that show. When Marcus was on the show last, we talked about his role in the live music scene in Washington, D.C., his uh, role in the adult film industry. And uh, one of those things no longer exists because of a global pandemic. Something that does exist is our Patreon account. Please consider donating at youmethemeverybody.com. It's in this podcast description, and it's on our About page. This is one of our longer conversations. Um, Lots and lots and lots of tangents, lots of talk about country music and the adult film industry and a little bit of talk about wrestling and i hope you enjoy it here's the show how has your life changed in the last year oh my god so it's funny it's like everybody else caught up to what i was doing all along and now it was up to me to like take a step forward as far as like being able to evolve what I had been doing for 13 years. Cause it's like, like I said, like I felt like everybody had caught up to where I was at 13 years ago with the idea of like, I didn't want to be in a physical workplace and I wanted to be able to like control my own schedule and control my own life. And the one thing that everybody had to do in the pandemic was like control their own lives. So they had to be able to work from home and, you know, telecommute and be able to, you know, uh, fend for themselves and not lose their minds by being in a box that is 10 by 12 for half the day. Yeah, but (laughs) you didn't do this 13 years ago because of a global pandemic. No, I did it 13 years ago because I, I got laid off and I was bored by being in workplaces. So it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the circumstances are different, but I feel like a lot of the energy that came out of those circumstances were, was very similar to what I was dealing with. Sure. Um, how has your life changed in terms of what you're actually doing? Because the last time we saw each other was on the 29th of February of 2020. And yeah, I was right there. Uh, yeah. So it's crazy. You're like the last person I talked to really before the pandemic struck. And I was yeah. thinking about that before we had this conversation. So Okay, so the pandemic happened and Black Lives Matter took over. So it was a really like isolating time for me in the sense that I felt very alone and very much like withdrawn and in my own thoughts. And then from there, I decided I was going to try to advocate for things that when we opened up the world again, would showcase the world as a fundamentally different place than it was before you know the pandemic struck and before again black lives matter happened so that's why i decided i wanted to write about country because i was like okay so where's the one place in the world where my very progressive view on civil rights and uh the the uh, america as a progressed social space would possibly have the most impact and I've always been a fan of country music. I've been a fan of country music since I was, you know, a child. And I've always had kind of like a following for country in the back of my mind. And, you know, I always kept an eye on things. And I had noted that there were more black singer-songwriters in Nashville than any other time in history. And in the midst of that, I was going to work on, I was supposed to write a piece about Diplo. Okay. And Diplo released a country album last year. And I had put in a request with the Bitter Southerner to interview him. And in the midst of preparing for that, because he's, he's from Tupelo and Elvis is from Tupelo. So I was going to do this comparison of these two artists who, you know, deal deeply in repurposing music by people of color and creating it in such a way that doesn't necessarily raise the ire of people of color in a way that it's like profoundly aggressive. So I was like, I wanted to dive into that. And they were cool about it. And they're like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, like have at it. But of course, with, you know, everything that occurred, the article never reached uh, the light of day. But in the midst of that, I spent the better part of a month from actually when we were like working, when we, last time we spoke and everything, I was knee deep in 
listening to a lot of Elvis's live shows and watching a lot of his live shows and reading a lot of Diplo interviews and trying to find those connective ties. And in the midst of that, I got really angry because it was like, okay. So I, I was like surrounded by this white guy who was doing basically like black interpretations, which was the point of the article. But it struck me in a way where like, I suddenly realized that like, I had a problem with it. Okay. And then when everything occurred in June, I had just finished this whole like chapter of my life where it felt like a chapter of my life because the first month of the pandemic took like five years. So like, I felt like I ended this chapter of my life where I was, you know, like consumed by white people imitating black people. And then a black guy, you know, had his life kneeled out of him. And I was like, okay, this is a clear sign that like, I need to assume the position of reclaiming blackness from white people who in some way harmed blackness in black history by owning parts of it and not necessarily even even overtly being negative but just in the in the fact that they were able to use it as a tool of compensation Mm -hmm. that to me was like okay we have to take this back because we've gone too far with race and race relations in this country so maybe this is a space where in reclaiming this there's a certain level of power that comes in economics that maybe i'm able to you know like by putting money from this space back into the box the pocket of a black person then there's some kind of reparational justice that's occurring and that's where i've kind of been ever since the last time we spoke you we didn't talk about country music at all we talked about we talked a little bit about what you were doing at decades and yeah for those yeah. that don't know decades is slash was i don't know what's going to happen through the pandemic yeah, like, decades, is, decades is still physically there yeah. and rewind the the bar and diner is the thing that's open now so yeah and it's like it's a venue sort of, it's a club and you were part of that and i'm assuming that all went away in the last year um yeah yeah so you know that's no longer a thing and i'm fine with that ultimately like it's weird the other thing about the pandemic is that it put a close on a chapter of my life like i've been a journalist full-time freelance for 13 years and the pandemic put a close on that chapter of my life of like going out and Mm -hmm. being in the streets and frequently having to engage with culture on a very molecular human to human level in order to write about it well like that was the, the the key of my success was the fact that like i was able for god knows what reason to go out more and to see more people and to be in more places than most people so that the stuff that I was writing in my perspectives came from a very human standpoint. It wasn't so much like I was experiencing this generation from a, uh, a sheltered perspective. Like I was right there on the front lines. And because of COVID, that ended. Mm-hmm. Well, it, COVID is also, it's not ending, but um, vaccines are more prevalent. Um, certain baseball stadiums are allowing fans I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the summer, indoor places like your 930 clubs, your Fillmore Silver Springs are reopened. Um, do you think there's going to be a flood of people participating in maybe risky behavior when it comes to live music? Oh, a thousand percent. Will you be part of that? A hundred thousand percent. Like people will be going out to shows all the time because oh, yeah. here's the thing that I've learned in observing people dealing with uh, the isolation that is part and parcel is part and parcel of my life. As much time as I spent outside, I spent as much time by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like I came home to like a wife and two kids and a four car garage and, you know, two parents. No, I, I came home to me. So like the hardest part about that is like when you spend time this much time by yourself, like, and you're not used to having that time by yourself, the first thing you want to do is you want to see what people are doing again. Like you need that human connection. Mm -hmm. And people are going to demand that 
out of the world. And the world is in a place now where it's very fragile and it cannot handle that. So I'm deeply afraid of the immediate rush that people are going to make to venues and the immediate rush that people are going to make to restaurants and the immediate rush that people are going to make to especially sports stadiums. Well, the sports stadiums like, doesn't bother me like, nearly. Okay, as, okay as, so give me an example. Like we're both we're both wrestling fans, right? Yeah. WrestleMania terrifies me. Sure, but 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 the WrestleMania this year is outside, and the outside transmission is way lower than any inside transmission. So while I'm not thrilled that baseball stadiums are allowing fans and Mania is allowing a certain amount of people, I'm still so happy that it's in there that it's two thousand people in a football stadium or a baseball stadium versus 2,000 people at a, an indoor basketball arena or hockey arena. Like, I'll take that. Yeah, oh, no, I agree. I agree, but I think that there needs to be more acceptance of the fact that the world is fundamentally different now post-COVID. Like, before sure. you go into one of these spaces, you need to be aware that, like, yeah, the world is fundamentally different. We were not outside for 12 months. Yeah, and in, in, in great in great numbers, for a very obvious reason, and to deny yourself of accepting that reason and working through that, I think that that's something about human. That says something about humanity that doesn't bode well for the future. Like we have to, you have to be careful about this this next era. I completely agree. We get there because because it's because it's 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 the evolution of things. Like you have to be cognizant of evolution well speaking of evolution the last thing we talked about on the 29th was about the adult film industry yeah and that's what you were Absolutely. currently writing about so this is before country before country you were in yeah, the... and, I'm still, and i'm still and i'm still heavily i'm still heavy in adult and i'm still heavy in uh sex and sex tech like i'm still i'm, I'm probably heavier there now than i was before covid so, so what is it's... how has that industry changed in the last year well, here's the thing. Uh, Real-time interaction between sex workers and clients was already on the wane because the internet makes it possible for people who have people who are agor agoraphobic largely to be able to have like healthy sexual interaction with you know people that otherwise in other areas you typically were forced to you know engage with in real time. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's only skyrocketed uh the the uh the virtual sex space is now a hundreds of billion dollar industry and only fans has boomed and people with patreons and posting modeling photos of themselves has boomed uh the 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 online interactive space is happening the only thing that i'm terrified by with uh sex moving forward is in spaces where covid transmissions are still high people engaging in real-time sexual behavior. Like that's gonna be the real, I mean, cause everybody's gonna do it, but I think that that's the real space where I'm positively terrified. It's the potential there for something that's similar to uh, pockets of COVID continuing to grow in the same, at the same or greater rate than AIDS was transmitted is entirely possible. And with the death rates from COVID being so high, like the idea that people will link sex and COVID just is something that I'm like, oh my God, like that's, that's the worst case scenario, but it's an entirely possible scenario. Has there been a, has there been a super spreader event in the adult film industry? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that that's, that's one of the things that people don't discuss a great deal. And the free speech coalition has been good about not necessarily like hyper promoting it, but if you're aware of that industry, sure. Like the first, you know, first, you know, two or three months after COVID, like, there were two like major outbreaks and a lot of major uh, film studios shut down for extended periods of time. There are top stars who did not perform for six months. I interviewed Sarah J for uh, hotmovies.com and she took a six month hiatus. She hasn't had a six month break in 20 years. Mm -hmm. She shot like 5,000 scenes in her career mm -hmm. and she didn't shoot one for six months because of COVID and because of the fact that the industry was so unsafe. Yeah. I, I was this a boom year for the industry though? Oh yeah, because like I said, online and solo sexual yeah. interaction went through the roof. Uh also a lot of performers repurposed their old material because 
the funny thing about adult is that people it's not necessarily like a big like multiple view industry yeah so it's not like you know you you like people sure buy clips or whatever but it's not like you buy that clip and you watch it a hundred times yeah but art but you know performers who have significant back catalogs were really good about being able to like repurpose and re-advertise their older material because well they were shooting currently but they still have you know quote unquote hot shit for people to see so it's like okay here's this one scene with me and so and so from 2014 it's still hot maybe they you know like with some people went in and they were able to take older scenes that were maybe like not so well rendered mm -hmm. and re-render them on it with uh you know a higher resolution so that you know the the, the scene itself looks clearer and crisper and and there's a certain level of like you know okay well like this now like reflects me at a certain at, at a higher level of excellence in the industry so mm -hmm. it's like all of my old classic scenes that look like shit all look amazing now so it's not that dissimilar from like an hbo max making south park look better than it did in like 98 or something Exact, exact same thing. The so, same thing. does the adult film industry have like certain scenes or certain films that are essentially like the film of the weekend? The same way like Netflix tries to win every weekend with like a brand new film, and HBO Max is doing this, and Peacock will be doing this. Where, yes, we have everything you've ever wanted to watch from this ten-year series here, but this weekend here's the new ninety-minute film from Blank. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, 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 and it's 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 intriguing. So the big film houses, so like Evil Angel, or you know, like like those kind of spaces, which are like you know, like the industry leaders, uh, Kink.com or Adult Time, they all feature two or three films okay. every week that are like, hey, this is this is new, or this was shot before COVID, or we were able to, you know, repurpose this from you know this classic person hotmovies.com who I write for they went back and they're been, they've been pulling a lot of their 80s and 90s clips and saying hey like here's Tracy Lord's entire collection or something and you're able to watch it uh pink and white films they're a uh, more independent film group they have been purchasing large sums of queer porn from the 70s and 80s mm. which is like canon to the queer porn industry and it's all like you know poorly shot but emblematic of like the first time that there was like you know like all lesbian you know all black yeah all queer like performances on film so they've been able to like pull that and purchase it and you know like dust it off and place it back out there into the world and for an entirely new generation where a lot of these like you know like more progressive takes on sexuality and uh visibility are are different than before to have this these films available at this time is like incredibly groundbreaking is there a similar um i guess reckoning is a fair word to say that's going on in country music that's is that also going on in the adult film industry or just by the nature of the industry has always been slightly more progressive or am i lying to myself you would be um, right but wrong. Okay. So the issue is in porn that racism and porn go together like freaking frack. The idea that black men and white women having sex is taboo continues to be a thing in pornography because there's a population in the world that still finds that to be taboo. There's taboos about everything. Uh, there's tab like you know there's taboos about you know like race play and age play and gender play and everything. So that is part of that industry. So with the social conditions of the world right now, you're ultimately telling people that a very lucrative part of a very lucrative industry is sacrosanct. We can no longer deign to go in that direction. Yeah. And this is an industry that is also predicated on freedom and freedom as much as it's a liberal construct is also a conservative one so it makes things difficult because that conservative side of freedom is being extraordinarily limited whereas on the liberal side the desire to 
remove restriction that says that you know black and white is taboo but it's, it should be celebrated on some level if you even if you're celebrating it you're celebrating something that for has been taboo for so long that people don't understand that it's quote unquote normal so it's like a hyper realized acceptance in a way i wonder what the venn diagram is for the writing that you're doing right now like the crossover between the it's, people concerned okay. about all this stuff together I'll I'll put it like I'll put it like this like the stuff that like it's the it's the okay so Axel Rotten was my wrestling trainer and Axel always used to say every rock star wants to be a wrestler every wrestler wants to be a rock star it's the same thing with porn and music every porn star wants to be a musician and every musician wants to be a porn star like, I gotta I gotta respectfully disagree there's something about there's something about being an extrovert and showcasing your skill and being like incredibly gifted and being able to like take something that is very precise and blowing it up for the entire world to come in and accept it and respect it that i think is the unifier between all these things and being able to like psychologically write about that yes it's draining but it's also like ridiculously fun I have to respectfully disagree. I don't, I, I really dislike that every blank wants to be blank stuff, this chef rockstar thing. So when people say rockstar, they're really talking about like a hundred different stereotypes. But to me, the most rockstar rockstars are Motley Crue. So it means you're either um, in horrible pain because your back is messed up or uh, you never really dealt with uh, trauma. So now you're on heroin or you accidentally murdered a man because you're drunk driving or uh, you're Tommy Lee, and all of those things I are mean, bad. That's, but, that, but that's the truth of it, though. But that's not no. That's, that's not the truth of it. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And I agree. I agree that it's bad, but it also exists. Yeah, but it's also the minority. Like that's the minority of the minority of the minority. Very, 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 very few bands get to Motley Crue level. The majority but, of but, bands. But isn't it? But isn't the? But isn't the goal on some level to like dare to dream? No, because even that, like, their goal was never to do that. Like, they wanted to be essentially like an updated version of T-Rex, which was not that. T-Rex was about free love and everyone having consensual sex and not accidentally murdering someone because you're driving them home drunk. Like, no, it, it's not that. That was never the goal. It became the reality, but that was not the goal. And so right. when we're talking at 2021 that, like, oh, I'm a rock star, what the fuck does that even mean? That doesn't mean anything at this point, I mean, the most successful rock stars are like probably Metallica, who's doing yoga backstage, and like James is up up front about battling addiction, and like that's the reality of this. Like, it's a job, and you have demons, and you try not to fall that fall into them, and that's not very fun or flattering. And that's why I, I, I will say this. Yes, I'll, go. I'll say in response to what you're saying that to get to the point where you have that realization is the goal. Cause I talk, like I said, I talk to, I talk to superstar musicians and naked people, 75% of my, of my week. And the desire to get to that point of self-actualization is ultimately the goal for people who want to achieve, you know, top 10% of an industry level of success. You want to get to the point where, oh my God, this crazy thing happened. And then it fundamentally changed my entire life. Like that is part of the goal. Like for me, like it all goes back to Axel. Like uh, there's a lot of lessons I learned from, from him before he passed. And it was the idea that like, he's like, okay. So I suffered like 25 concussions and I almost ruined my life on multiple occasions. But it was that moment when it went too far, when I realized that I had achieved the very goal that I was setting out to achieve, which is a horrible thing to like accept, but you have to accept that that is the, the purpose of your desire to get to that point where like it gets so unsustainable where you're like, Oh my God, I fell off the scaffold or like Mick Foley. Oh my God, I fell off the side of the steel cage and I crashed through the table. And then I'm laying there and it's like, okay, now this other part begins, but I had to get here first. Once again, I got to respectfully that's disagree. That, and that's part of the thing. No, I, I got to respectfully disagree here because it, I'm, I'm not happy that, your friend passed away, but how did your friend pass away? 
oh, he passed away after years of heroin abuse. Okay, therefore, that, like, oh, I needed to hit X to understand Y, to me, that's incredibly flawed from the jump. Like, yeah, I know, I know it's flawed, but it's real. No, it doesn't have to be. No, I don't agree with you on that. I don't think that's real. I think that's just a coping mechanism. But isn't coping real? No. Sometimes coping is you're lying to yourself. You're denying reality. And I think that that's a coping mechanism that is denying reality. You don't need to do any of these things. We want to do these things. We need to breathe. We need water, etc. Those other things are luxuries, and to tack on a need to a luxury is an inherently dangerous thing. Oh, I know, but I think that, especially in America, with our celebrity-driven culture, there are so many people that live for the want. Oh, sure, for sure, agree. And, and, and build their lives around celebrating the want. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. Yes. And that's a, a whole industry unto itself of celebrity culture. Agreed. And, and that has to exist. Like in my mind, that absolutely has to exist. Uh, it doesn't and have to it's, exist. It's a, it's a flaw and it's a flaw to your point. It's a flaw of what it is to be American in the mm. sense of like, okay, so we, we celebrate celebrity to a ridiculous degree. And that's what we do, and that's who we are. Mm, and no, no, and, some, and, some, some, some. And I think that word is more important than ever. Some people celebrate. And I'd say the majority of Americans don't care. Even the celebrity culture stuff, I think the majority of Americans just don't care. I think the majority of Americans, um, all of this is just passive entertainment at best. And there are a handful of important, quote-unquote, important media types that elevate certain figures because there's an industry to be had. That's all it is, really. And if anything, right. But what's but what's weird is in COVID, we've learned that we really enjoy passive entertainment. Good lord, we enjoy passive entertainment. We especially enjoy passive entertainment. We're surrounded by other people in, you know, very close quarters, breathing on each other in oh sure settings. Sure, but also I I think that the biggest benefits from all of the COVID stuff is we learned two things about us, and I and feel free to chime in if you disagree. But um, number one, comfort TV or old stuff like there's a reason The Office was the most successful show on Netflix for a long time, and there's a reason why Peacock launched an entire network based around having The Office, right? So it's old stuff that's familiar that you could just jump back into. That's not necessarily denying reality, but sort of an instant nostalgia thing. And then number two is TikTok. And TikTok is, it's not celebrity free, but it's sort of driven by the idea of what YouTube originally set out to be, which was just like a video service for everyone. So that's not necessarily like a big celebrity driven. On... But, it, but it makes but it makes everybody the celebrity at some point. Exactly, like which is not necessarily a bad thing. It, it also- But the democratization of celebrity means that, you know, you're just ultimately creating more celebrities. And you're or, creating more celebrities to view or, and to watch, and then you're creating... Mm, or the heights of an actual celebrity like are like you're not going to get another Beyonce ever again type of stuff. You're never going to get a Michael Jackson. You're never going to get a Lady Gaga. The, the heights will never be as high because everyone is a, like the, the tide has lifted all ships. So you, does this make sense? Oh, it makes all the sense in the world. But I think that the thing is that you don't see and a lot of people don't see to me is that when you let everybody have access to celebrity, then you also have allow everybody to have access to the perils and pitfalls of celebrity and the half-life on celebrity is even shorter than ever before. It's the one thing that kind of like drove me away from like mainstream pop music is the fact that the half-life on a top pop star now is greater than it's ever been. So like the, the, the moment that somebody becomes a star, they're already, they've already fallen. That's okay. But but it's not though in the sense that like if that's what you deign to be, right? In life, like that's your goal, and you get there and you can't stay, it's like demoralizing in a way that leads people to the kinds of things that you talked about with Motley Crue and a greater preponderance of people doing that. So at some level, it's not healthy. Yes, it's never been healthy. And maybe all of these examples will show that that is a horrible goal. Oh, I agree. So that's good. That's what I mean. Like, 
there's very, it's very, not, very. It's not good in the sense. It's bad in the sense. How that the, when you have greater amounts of stars dying, like you know, like you know, or, or stars like you know falling at a faster rate, and you start to get into this cycle with it then at the end of the day, you end up with more damaged people just walking about in the universe. And I don't think that necessarily is something that's positive. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I should have been clear. I don't think there's actual any real jump in celebrities is what I'm saying. I, I, I think that... there. I can tell you that there are, as a, as a music journalist, the number of like one-hit wonders you have to cover is, is astronomical now on the pop side. So it's like, I'm happy to be in country where like industry standards still exist. We're like, we're not going to cover you unless you've like established and sustained yourself for a long time. And you have fallen well within very defined standards of success. The only thing that's fascinating to me is now watching, you know, like those standards get pushed by notions of race and gender mm -hmm. that never really existed there. But that, that, but, the, but by comparison to like working in pop, it's a walk in the park. Uh, I can't speak to your experience. That is your experience. I'm just wondering um, if there's ever going to be that hive mind again, that, I'm 38 that I grew up with where like, you know, the top 10 pop songs, even if you hate pop music, because it's just so prevalent. And I'm assuming yeah, this when, is... in, pop, in pop, that's dead. That's dead. That's been dead for five years. But that's a good like, thing the because that... then you'll just like what you like and you listen to what you listen to. And the barriers of entry of going to a record store are gone. Having to have physical product is gone. And that's a good thing because if you're a kid. But then, but, then where's the, but then where does sustainability exist for the industry? Well, I mean, who who says it deserves to be sustainable? Oh, oh, the music industry is dead on one on one side. I work in the only industry that's still living. That's, that's the reason why that's the, honestly honest to god the reason why i moved to country and you know, like one of the five people in the world i've told this to the reason why i moved to country at the end of the day is because i'm a believer in the sustainability of the music industry i think the music industry music as an industry of itself is fascinating and one of the great true american success stories and the fact that the music industry no longer exists breaks my heart to this day so I'm like, I want to work in the one place where the industry still stands and things still work the way that they used to. You know, records come out on Friday. You could have a number one. It, it only sucks because it's Morgan Wallen right now. But you could have the same album be number one for 85 consecutive weeks. And that says something about the strength of music and the strength of people liking music and people enjoying a song. and the great song standing for something like that. Those are things that I believe in. Cause I believe in that's the music that I grew up on. That's the industry that I grew up on. And so like for me, yeah, the music industry is like the one thing that still exists in my head that I enjoy. So I'm like, I'm going to work where it is. And thankfully I know the music there. So I'm not like, you know, a neophyte and, you know, struggling. Here's why I love talking to you because I almost a hundred percent disagree with what you're saying but I enjoy hearing it. And I appreciate that. That's, that's why we get along. Brandon, that's why we get along. I think you're right. Here, here's here's a, an interesting thing you just said. Uh, you wanted to work in an industry where the the things are working the way they used to work for the majority of the working record industry, the music industry. That's what you said, yeah. right? But you also yeah, said like, that... Like country country's the one that's left. Exactly. Country's going through a reckoning of gender and race which means yes. that for a very long time, no one was really questioning the way things were working. Right. But the thing is, is that even after the reckoning, it still works the same way. But do you see how that could be problematic? I, I, I'm, I, I fascinate myself with this question every day. It's literally like the next five pieces I'm writing about in country that are larger pieces deal with how this reckoning allows for the one industry that's left that works to make room for all the people that were systematically left out of the, left out of the equation. Okay. And you said how something could be on the charts for like 80 something weeks. And you're saying that that's a good thing. It's a great thing because at the end of the day, it, it sets standards. So it's okay. like, okay, so yeah, like 
what is it about this song that makes it great? You and what I both know the quality great? of a song is usually not determined of how often it is played. Okay. I will say to you even deeper that in country who has the one space that's left, the songwriting and the quality of the song that is the top song, once you really break it down and look at it and molecularly examine what about this song makes it great, like Marin Morris's The Bones was like the number one song for 18 consecutive weeks in, in country last year. And it's been on the charts for like 56 weeks or something. And when you break down why that song is as great as it is, it stands up. The, the guy that wrote Hello is one of the songwriters for The Bones. When you this, look at it as a compositional piece, like hold there's on. pieces of crap. There's it's two different things. We're talking about two different things. You're right. You are 100% yeah, right. The thing that, there's nothing wrong with the, the thing the, that makes the song stand. No, it doesn't. It, it, is, it does, though, because when you market a song like that, you're only pouring gasoline on a roaring fire. Okay, so. It's uh, different than pouring gasoline on a... Sparkler spark. No, no, I 100% disagree. I'm not talking about the three and a half minute pieces of art. Those are, the, the songs are good. It's not about whether the songs are good or bad. But whenever anything is taking up that much space, it's also blocking out space for others. So if there's one song at the top of the charts for 18 weeks and it's in the top 10 for 56 weeks, that's one more song that's also not in the top 10 for x amount of time right so the idea is that you're getting this homogenized sound after a while and it's no fault of the artist or the songwriters it's just that's just how the industry works and there's more money to be made from keeping something at the top rather than trying something new and different it's really no but different I'll, but i'll say that i'll say this about music is that the key to music at the end of the day is being able to find the through lines that homogenize genre so that you're able to like take things that are like vastly disparate and combine them in ways that create sounds that are unique within a box because like country is a very well-defined box like there's country and there's not country and I and it's it's funny because people think that I said when I say that that it's like oh well you know you're one of those people that doesn't think the trap needs to be in country or doesn't think that this needs to be in country. And I'm like no, it all needs to be in country. But like finding the point of homogenization that allows for trap to exist within country comfortably and make it sound like better. Because to me the the key is to always make music sound better. It's the reason why I love Moonbatone for so many years. Is the fact that like reggaeton and dimbo and all of those like percussive patterns make electro sound better it, it makes jumping up and down and shuffling at a festival almost irrelevant and it allows people to dance it allows for movement it allows for rhythm to exist within melody and that's important and i think that's the real conversation is that that's where the diversity exists like homogenization is when you look at it from a diversity standpoint, not bad. Like it's not like you're, you're ultimately teaching people each other's language. And when you come up and you discover like a, a single through line, then that creates the points where like, say I could work in country and I know people on Morgan Wallen's team and I could talk to them. And while we both know that this one guy is like horribly fucked, like we could also look at this and go, Hey, like, where are the connective points that we can do better as people? I think that you're saying a lot of the right things, but unfortunately, I have to disagree at the core. And if you because I think you're getting I think you're going down a path that is incredibly intellectual. And I understand yeah. that. And I always do. You've known this about me. And I respect that, but I don't agree with it. Um, I believe that you should keep it simple, stupid. And 
if you're being a dick, you're a dick. You're no longer invited to the party. You can't say Nazi shit in the bar and you're kicked off. Like that's to me, sometimes you need to keep it that simple. So you're, you're intellectualizing bad behavior because there's still lessons to be learned. Well, I say, fuck that. You already knew the lesson. You, not you specifically, you as the general, you, you know, the lesson you're not welcome anymore. That's it's not complicated. It's simple. It's cut and dry. And right. I look at it like I look at it like this. I'm like, okay, so like if somebody does something egregious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they don't deserve, deserve deserve to be at the party. But moving forward, we now know what the rule is. <laughs> You're saying uh, in 20, we didn't know the rules before. Now <laughs> you didn't no, know country, the rules. In country, they didn't, and it's 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 crazy you say that because in country they didn't. This show in is country. named after the Blues Brothers in the Blues Brothers film. Well, which, in in country, yeah. Oh, I know. I'm getting there. Racism was acceptable for 90 years. Okay, but it wasn't. That's no, but it bo- was. Okay, the, no, no, the no. Hold on, stop, so. stop, 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 stop. I know you're right when you say it. You're what you're saying, but. As a whole, we all knew that's not good. It's still, to me, shocking that there are anybody who believes any of this stuff. But there are a lot of people. And it's the same thing with the Blues Brothers. Man, I've hated Illinois Nazis since before I was born. This is not complicated. I completely understand it. There's nothing new here. There's no lesson to be learned. There's no kumbaya. At a certain point, hopefully it was 2020, we realized, like, let's stop lying about what's, what's been acceptable and what's not. Like, you're being a dick. Keep it simple, right. so stupid. So it's not complicated. Think, so what do we do moving forward? Like, that's my thing now is like, what do we do moving forward? Okay, so we're here. Now, what do we look at moving forward? What are the next steps? Like, make it impossible for forward? anybody to make money from people that have proven to be racist, sexist, or homophobic. It's not complicated. If there's no money to be made, the support goes away. The end. And then right. how do and those so people get back? And me, that's the, that's my, that's like, again, that's why I mean, that's why, that's why I work in country. Like, that's why I do what I do. Cause I'm like, okay, so if you're fundamentally wrong and I'm fundamentally right, then like, we got to find something in the middle. <laughs> like I <we> love your, <laughs> I love like we, like we just do. Like yeah. Like to me, that's what it is. It's like, okay. So like you are fundamentally wrong as a person. I am fundamentally right as a person. Cool. So what's the next step? Like now that we've solved this very simple, like problem, like what's next? And I know that what's next may be scary if to you, our fundamental problem is not so like fundamentally cut and dry, but it is like, once we get past that point, then okay. Like, what what do we do? We're here now. So, oh, well, what do we do? Okay. So let's bring this back to wrestling. Your guy, Axel. Yes. um, He participated in what are like, he participated in death matches, right? Yes. He participated in death matches, which f- pleases a certain subset of wrestling fan and is very off-putting. He's, the, he's the OG. He and he and he and uh, he and Ian. Type A. Type A glad. Yeah. Do you think that that lent itself to his drug abuse? I would absolutely say it was. So was that worth it? I would say that creatively, <laughs> it was worth it. Okay. In the sense that, in the sense that, okay. So if you look at creativity as a as a as a continu- as a as a continuous spectrum, and if you look at and this is gonna get inside baseball for wrestling, so anybody listening to your, you know, your cast, I'm terribly sorry, but if you start off with a creative idea that says that a person is X, they are a you know hardcore chair swinging freak, or they are a, in Axel's case, or they are a you know blood letter with you know English lineage, then the through line says that at some point you're gonna actually have to be the thing that you say you are. And when you get to that point, then it has to be like exactly what you advertised it as being. Because there has to be truth in advertising and that's that's, that's the key to wrestling as a business. So if you advertise Axel as the hardcore chair swinging freak, he's gonna have to swing a chair. He's gonna have to get hit by a chair. If you say he's a bloodletter, he's gonna have to let blood. He just is. This makes you think differently about how you advertise people, maybe, and the way that you think about whatever, then yeah. Here's why I love you again. You are trying to sincerely sell wrestling as truth in advertising. 
It has to be <laughs> the most successful. The most successful wrestling pay per views of all times are fucking lies. Like the screw job is the foundation of an entire movie. The screw job is stupid advertising because the next night Vince McMahon said that I'm a liar and I'm a terrible boss and I'm a horrible human being. That's the exact advertising there. It's the exact opposite of truth in advertising. It's like it's the whole point is just uh fake it. Fake everything's fucking fake. Make no, the but okay, okay. So that's the that's the difference between like being a worker and a shooter and like those who work in the business and those who watch the business. If you work in the business, it's all fucking real. No, 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 hold on, hold on. We're talking about fake in different ways. Yeah, no, but I'm, I mean, but I'm saying fundamentally what you said, like the shoot at the end of the day when it comes to the screw job is that the next night on Raw, Vince McMahon came out and said, I am a bad boss. I am the kind of boss who would in fact screw his own employee and take away his title that I own. When's the last time you watched Wrestling with Shadows? I watched Wrestling with Shadows at least once a year. I like, watched it over uh, over the summer, and I'm convinced that without Wrestling with Shadows, like the Attitude Era is only like seventy percent as effective as it was. Well, if, if if the Attitude if the Attitude Era didn't have Vince as a bad boss. It wouldn't work. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'm saying like without an outside filmmaker presenting this to the Canadian public and then the American public, with without a really good film, I don't think is I don't think it connects as well as it did. I'd say that the 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 diversity of perspectives in it makes it work. So Jake yeah. talking about his yeah, dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Mick showing off his kids and watching draws being, you know, told to throw up in the garbage can and, you know, getting the sense of like who Vince is as a, so you're going, you're going to be on the mat stuff right now. Oh, wrestling with shadows. Okay. No, I'm talking about wrestling with shadows, specifically the heart doc about the incident. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get, I get them confused all the time. Yeah. Happens. Well, I mean, they're not oh, that okay, dissimilar. When it comes to the incident, yeah, like the idea that. Okay, so the thing that makes wrestling with shadows work, is is one moment in that whole doc. It's the moment when you see Hunter. Oh, post screw job in the hallway. Yes. Yeah. It's Hunter is the is the the tell because he's the last person you would ever expect to have. Anything to do with anything in the doc. If you're like looking at this documentary and you like know all these people, the one guy you don't know is Hunter. Mm -hmm. And when he comes out and he's like actually important, you're like, wait. So this is like far deeper than what anything that you were expecting. So I think there's a connective tissue with everything that we've been talking about, specifically oh, with Hunter. Course, yeah. So for the people that listen, have no idea what we're talking about. Triple H, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Not his real name. His real name is Paul Levesque. Paul is the is the man that you're referencing. He's currently head of NXT, which is part of WWE. He's super high up in WWE. He's legitimately Vince McMahon's son-in-law. He's he married the boss's daughter, right? So. The way WWE run to me is not that dissimilar to country music as a whole where, yeah, you could do a lot of amazing stuff and the majority of great country music is part of that machine, but there's an entire ecosystem around that that to me is being blocked out because these people are taking up so much air that there's not enough for everyone and that's your NXTs, that's your indies, sorry, that's your AEWs, etc. That's country music too. Yes, yes indeed. And there's a reckoning That's in all of it. And there's a reckoning in all of it. And there's problems in every single level of it. But it would be cool if certain gatekeepers just went away, not because they're bad people, but because there's so much amazing stuff that we're not able to see because we can only consume so much. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it, the funny thing as it compares to wrestling is like the the, the crazy part about wrestling right now and pandemic wrestling especially is when talent switches companies and it's all kind of become this polyglot of sports entertainment mm -hmm. and talent switching companies actually doesn't matter because you kind of like all of these companies have become one one unanimous organization 
So it doesn't feel like any company is different than any other company right now. Do you think it'll change once that once like and once there's herd immunity? Yeah, I think that the thing that has to change is that somebody has to jump out and say I'm the new star. Yeah, but it's so, I mean I, can't, I don't think somebody can. has to be somebody has to be willing to be and it, and it's and I say this to like young talent all the time in wrestling. Like, and I say it to young talent in music as well. I say somebody has to be stupid enough to decide that they're different. Yeah, I just like, don't know how like you Steve, like Steve Austin deciding, you know what? I'm going to tell the company that I work for that the creative that I have is really dumb and I don't like it. But my ability as a wrestler supersedes the creative that you've given me. You know, or Dwayne Johnson deciding, you know what? Again, also, your creative that you're giving me is really bad. So I'm just going to go off and do something else and do with it what you will. Don't like it, but I'm just going to do this. I mean, for better or worse, that is sort of AEW. Yeah, but at the same time, like, AEW exists in a realm where it's between the extro- the extremes of the independence and what WWE is entrenched in doing. Yeah. So it's this weird, like, mix. It needs to move further to the left and, like, disassociate itself from, like, being WWE light in some ways and being... 10% less than what the independents are. And that's the soft spot for AEW. But it's not there yet. Do you, yeah, but and it's, getting, it's getting there. Yeah, do you think it it's would be there, there if there wasn't a pandemic? I don't know the answer. Probably, probably not. Like, that's the thing. Like, it'll, it takes time. It takes consistency. Are you still watching the product? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I watch more wrestling now than I did before the pandemic. So, wow. Yeah, like... It's, it's, it's accessible entertainment. It's available seven days a week. I watched <laughs> the Rumble. I watched the Brody Lee tribute show. I watched Mania, and that's it. That's the only three things I've seen since the pandemic. Because the audiencelessness is just too much for me to to really like it. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll say this: the the thing about any entertainment during the pandemic wrestling wrestling included is the desire to to appreciate the art on face value is at a greater height than ever before for any sort of entertainment that you have to watch where the crowd being there and some level of interaction having to be like a present part of it is not there anymore Mm -hmm. so you have to be willing to like Hyper engage. The the things that I've enjoyed the most since the pandemic, when it comes to sports and sports entertainment, was uh, the NHL bubble. To me, was the best because the way it was shot, you barely see fans, anyways, in a regular uh, non-pandemic right. year. So you could really you could barely tell the difference. So that was the best. And then the NBA was. Um, I think the product was actually better in the bubble. Because without the fans, the court is actually bigger because you don't have to worry about like who's sitting where and where the photographers are. So like in a weird way, it expanded the court and made the game even more difficult. But baseball was jarring from start to finish, and um, I don't know how that's going to feel. Uh, wrestling has hands down been the worst. Um, <laughs> wrestling is weird because like if if you you have to be wrestling is almost like hyper selected itself to a universe of literally the WWE universe. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and literally the AEW universe. And there are all these like weird universes where a very select number of people watch this by itself. Like I got a lot of people that are mad that WWE's ratings are down. I'm like, well, yeah, there are no people there. So if you want to watch this, you'd better be a wrestling fan or a fan of people you know, grappling for, you know, gold belts. Yeah. Because <laughs> ostensibly that's all you're watching. You're not watching a thing that's like a pop cultural experience at this point. No, WWE makes me feel less bad. WWE is like watching baseball where AEW is like watching football because uh, for those that don't know, in AEW there are fans in the crowd, but they're socially distanced, not that dissimilar to how a lot of NFL stadiums had people. And almost yeah. every single time there's a crowd shot, there's like one or two people wearing a mask incorrectly. 
the entire time. <laughs> You're just like, and it's like, and, and AEW anyway has that really like renegade sense anyway of like, we're kind of like the, the high school drama club. Kind of, yeah. And this is our like wrestling show. And now it's even more so like that. And so like, it, it's like, if you, if you buy into that kind of concept of the presentation, then it's like, okay, this is fine. Cause like, I get it. Like, okay. Cool. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it's, it's fascinating. Like I, and so for me, like the bubble has been the best. The NBA bubble was phenomenal. It did more for evolving the league than watching people shoot three pointers for the last five years. But uh, do you worry that them not doing the bubble again was a step back? I think that everybody has to look at commerce and revenue. Sure. So you have to break out of the bubble. You just do. Like you can't have you can't have another year of the bubble unless you find a giant financier somewhere who's willing to underwrite the whole league. And there's not a financier in the world who can under save Amazon who could underwrite. Yeah, the that's fair. League. The Amazon NBA that that would have I actually mean, worked. That would, I mean, it would be it would be something. It would be something like to, to see. Like I know that WWE was being courted by Amazon last year and they were going to put the whole thing under the Amazon umbrella, which I think would have actually worked, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I liked, I liked the NFL strangely because I think that the NFL, it's branding really showed itself in the pandemic in the sense that like the league was stronger than anything on television on Sunday. Sure. The league itself, like, and, and I, have grown out of favor with football over the last couple of years, but I watched the pandemic NFL because it was like the only thing on TV on Sunday. It was shot well and it was compelling. They created storylines that made you care about these these athletes and their games with no people. And baseball was jarring because baseball made made every intention of letting you know that there was nobody in the crowd at every turn. Yeah, I forgot. Because I just they remember were the first, they were the first ones out of the gate. So like everything to them was like, oh my god, there's nobody here in this seventy-five thousand person stadium. Yeah, and I forgot that the first weekend behind home plate. The of, first of weekend, the first weekend in uh, on Fox, they had the virtual fans, and they cut that quickly because it was just too jarring. Yeah, like they didn't know what to do. It was a really strange, weird time. Like that was funny, and uh, the NFL was the NFL was good. I thought uh, the, the the NHL was good. I thought, I think from a from a, a gameplay standpoint, the NHL has always been strong, in the sense that like, I think like player to player, I feel like the league, the league's worst player, is not a bad player by any stretch at this point. Yeah, that's pretty much across the board. Yeah, but I feel but I feel that way especially about the NHL. Okay, and you could see that with the level of play like elevating in the NHL season. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, not this. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like I'm looking forward to. I I still remember the last thing I almost bought tickets for was um, the Blackhawks at the Caps, and it was the weekend of the the 20th maybe it was the weekend of the 16th or the 13th last year and um i remember tickets going available on StubHub on monday and tuesday and wednesday like more and more and more until they finally just called the game and it never right. happened due to the pandemic so i'm very much looking forward to being able to go to a stadium to see a hockey game or a basketball game but like i don't know when that's going to be in terms of me physically being okay with it i could totally understand going to a baseball game because the outdoor atmosphere but I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, like I'm. I mean, I'm looking for. I'll be. I mean, the first sport that I'll go see live is baseball for sure. Because mm -hmm. I, I find like, I mean, just, I think that baseball will have the best handle on it because they've had the most time now to like examine exactly how to make it work. I don't know about that. <laughs> I've, well, they had the most time. Like, they were the first out of the gate last year. You know, like. Yeah, but it's still a bunch of so they old have the idiots. Time now. No, to, to I, the, they're the oldest, most dumb of all of the owners. Well, well the, 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 the NFL proves themselves to be the most dumb with the Super Bowl. No, no, no. Major League Baseball is worse. I, I, am, I am terrified by that notion. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're worse. They're totally worse. I, oh, I get it. I'm terrified by that notion that of thinking about 
what what they could theoretically do that 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 may that will make the Super Bowl look like a good idea. Yeah. Super Bowl terrified me. Do you think we'll see each other in 2021 in a bar? I think we will. I think we will by the end of the year. Yeah. Like I think that by December. Um, one thing I do like uh, this 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 ties into politics as well is I like the fact that Joe Biden is like I got one job. Mm-hmm. No other job that I have matters. But he's like I'm going to get everybody vaccinated so we can at least like halfway fill up the bars and halfway fill up the restaurants so yeah. that people can like have a semblance of like something to do because I think that that's like at the bare minimum the major thing that everybody has an issue with is that nobody has anything to do like I walk around outside now and people are walking around going nowhere just walking around like they could be going to the post office they could be going to the CBS but they're not doing as much as they used to when they would go outside. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you just have people kind of aimlessly shuffling about. Like, well, uh, I, I could do this, but I can't now because I have to wear this mask if I go inside, and I don't want to be inside for very long because that's how you get the COVID. So we don't want to do that. Yeah, I think um, we'll end it there because this is another thing I completely agree with you. But um, I think that's the difference between having a kid and not having a kid. Yeah. Because uh, I'm just I I want to have nothing to do. <laughs> that's fair you me them everybody is made by me brandon weatherby our theme music is by daniel knox our art is by jillian ron you can hear all 13 years of shows at you me them everybody.com if you're listening to this in spotify or on itunes the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you meet them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our about page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff at sign Y M T E. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping. Friends and family. I'll be keeping. Won't 